Good morning again. Why is it always bad news, eh? <laughs> the foundation for Paul's talk is, of course, uh, or this, this talk and the foundation for Paul's uh, letter is, of course, the gospel. And um, I'm trying to think of an illustration. Uh, have you ever had a bad dream and you dreamt you're falling, you're falling, you're falling, you're falling, and hopefully you wake up at the right time? Can you imagine what it would be like if you didn't wake up? Eh? When do you hit the bottom? Paul looks at humanity and they're falling into an abyss. Dari and I love going out walks, particularly in forests. Well, she comes from Bosnia, as some of you know, and therefore um, knows that the, uh, there's plenty of forests there, not so much around here. But we go up walks around the, the sort of areas nearby. And what you notice is that as you go into any wooded area, a lot of the trees have fallen over. One of the reasons is that the, the soil in which you're standing is very, very thin. So they've lost contact with the ground and with the source of their goodness. But when you walk past some of them, they're halfway over, and you look at them and you realize they're actually rotten as well. Rotten all the way through. Although some of them look to be standing very tall, they're rotten right through. And that's Paul's diagnosis of the human condition that we're about to look at. And let's get Paul in, and let's have a conversation with him. Because if you turn to page 148 of the New Testament part of your Bible, you'll be able to follow this through, although I'm using the um, New International Version text. So it's uh, very slightly different, but the same ideas are very much there. So let's, let's move through this. So... If you follow in verse 16, Paul says these words, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm going to have a conversation with Paul. Why are you not ashamed of the gospel, Paul? The answer is, he says, well, it's God's power to save people who believe. Ah, that's useful to know. But how does that work, Paul? And his answer is, well, the gospel shows people how God can make them righteous, how bad people can be made into Good people. It's good news. Well, why is that so necessary then, Paul, we might ask? And his answer to that brings us into this uh, passage that we're reading at the moment, starting at verse 18. Because God's wrath, that is his righteous anger and his complete hatred of what's going on, is shown against godless and wicked people. Watch that carefully. I've said at the start, it's God's anger against sin. That's true. But it's people that do the sin that God is particularly angry about. This talk is about people. Right. And what they're doing, according to this, is they are suppressing the truth by their wicked acts. Two ways you suppress the truth. The first way you suppress truth is that you distract people. You fill their life full of happy things, glad things, anything to take their mind off the reality of what they're doing. And then the other way is that they deny what there is uh, going on. They deny there is a God even. They deny that they're doing anything wrong. And that's how they suppress the truth, by their wicked acts. So we then question Paul, exactly how do people do that? And that's where we come to the, first, uh, the, the next verse. It says that what they know about God is plain to them. They should know better, is what it's saying. 
But he then takes us back to the creation and says, since the creation, God's eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen from what he made. He brings us back to the start and then says they have no excuse. Well, I'm going to take you back to the start because this is what colors the whole passage that we've just been reading. Let's go back to the start. In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. And five times in that chapter, it tells us God saw it was good. Now, if God saw it was good, he means it was perfect. It was brilliant. That marvelous creation. And at the end of creating the land, the sky, the seas, the the stars and everything, he says it was good. He hadn't finished. There was one missing element of this creation where God was going to do something more magnificent than anything he'd done before. And that was he created mankind. Why was that different and better? Because man was created in God's own image. God is a trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Look at yourself. You have a body. You have got a mind that can think, can create, just like God does, that can imagine, that is artistic, that can understand, sympathize, and love. And you also have a soul. John's brown bodies are lying in the grave, and his soul goes marching on. You have a living soul. You have a spiritual dimension that none of the rest of creation has. We have got the image of God within us. Voltaire said these words, there is a God-shaped gulf in every human being. And wherever we try to fill it with, it's still there. And when he finished creating man, he didn't say, it's good. He said, it is very good. The ultimate crown of God's creation is us human beings. Now, it is thus and the human being and the human condition that Paul now stands back and reviews in this passage. And so if you keep following this in your, in your Bible, verse 20, it points out that God's invisible qualities, that you can't see him, but you can see the evidence for them, uh, his eternal power. He created this magnificent universe, his divine nature, the fact that he owes to be worshipped. They can be clearly understood from what he made. So everyone is without excuse, it goes on to say. Indeed, the psalmist said these marvelous words, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work. They use the word, their speech they pour forth. They reveal knowledge. Look around you. Get a telescope and look up. Get a microscope and look down. The beauty, watch a baby being born. The genius of God's creation, his power and his eternal eternity are exposed to man. We call this the general revelation of God. Because looking around the sky, the fields, the uh, hospital wards and everything, you're not going to see that Jesus is there by name. It is general revelation. That is, it points us upwards to realize we are puny, but we have a spiritual dimension. There must be a bigger spirit up there we need to make contact with. And he has come down to do so. And so Paul outlines this, that the creation is the foremost part of it. But... What happened to that creation? Why sin came in the door. And the uh, first human beings that God created, man and woman, turned away. In God's genius, he put man 
with a companion, a woman. He created us male and female very deliberately. The two are meant to come together. We, I'm going to let you into a secret, and um, I hope you've worked this out. Uh, men are actually with, different from women. Uh, male, females are different from male. I hope you've learned this so far, unless your education is very lacking. Now, I think you've got that, but I don't mean in looks. I mean other characteristics. There's a guy who wrote a book, and he said, men are from Mars, women are from Venus. Now, he's saying we're, we're from two different planets. What he was talking about was the emotional side. He was talking about the, the psychological bits and the, the way men, and women, I don't need to tell you, the way men behave, it's disgusting. And guys, I don't need to tell you about women behave. I, you don't need to go there. But you get the difference. God deliberately made us different. Why? So he could bring us together. He built the world, male and female. We could have companionship. We could be brought together as one. And that that whole idea follows through the way God intended society. And he intended that we should come together, not just spiritually and not just uh, uh, in communication, but physically too. We're designed for one another so that we could procreate and have a family. So we're not just a man and a woman, it's a family. And then we have families have families. You have grandchildren and uncles and brothers, and suddenly you've created a society. We are meant to be together. What is it the African uh, proverb is? Uh, how long does it take uh, a, a, a boy to become a man? It takes an entire village to turn a boy into a man. And so it's communities that God has made us into, and it's based on that single relationship that God built of male and female. Paul comes back to that in a few minutes. You, you know what I'm talking about. So this comes in, but sin came in the door and destroyed that communication of man and woman, destroyed family relationships, and Paul now works out how it's affecting the communities that we live in. And he looks at the Gentiles in this passage, in other words, the Romans and the Greeks, the civilization that he inhabited. And he starts with the first thing that the Gentiles have done. What we have done, our first, there are three stages. Let me just follow it through for your Bible. So if you look at your Bible, do you see verses 21 to 24? That is stage one. What happens is that we go into free fall and idolatry enters the room. We find another God and we're going to see the effects and impact of that. And the formula for that is also applied verses 25 to 27 because we go down to stage two, and then verses 28 to the end of the chapter, we drop to stage three, decreasing uh, 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 righteousness and increasing sinfulness and wickedness. And that is how Paul diagnoses our society. It says that they didn't glorify God, they pushed God out of their dimensions, and they decided they're going to be their own creators. And they swapped God. The word used here is that uh, they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images that looked like themselves, birds, animals, etc., etc. In other words, they took the great creator of God and all the things, instead of looking up and worshipping him, they looked at themselves and they then decided, we are it. And nowadays, we have the same uh, 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 same method of thinking. Nowadays, we worship ourselves. We have celebrity status. We have 
I don't know whatever. What was that program last night? Strictly, you know, you know, anything, anything to fill the void, to make ourselves feel important and push us into the state that God should inhabit. And so uh, this is the situation with all the idolatry that came in. And this is the next bit, is the shocker. Therefore, God gave them over. Therefore, God gave them over. God got fed up mankind. Now, once upon a time, God said, I've had enough. And he flooded this planet. And apart from those in the ark, everybody was killed. He could have done it again anytime he wanted, but he doesn't. He refuses to. He allows humankind to sink in their own uh, cesspit. And this is a really difficult concept, this, that God sometimes stands back and lets the human condition go to its full extent. So that one day, we sit in this cesspit and we look at each other and say, something not right here. Are we doing things wrong here? And that is exactly what God did with this generation and is continuing to do. They degraded themselves, those bodies that were meant to produce children and godly families, they turned to sexual impurity. And instead of one man with one woman, as the definition of marriage is in the Bible, it was many women, many men, and whatever they wanted. And that is how God dealt with it. I was driving around, when I went out to Bosnia, I, um, I, I was driving the Land Rover, and Daria was alongside with, as, as my interpreter, and we got chatting fairly on, and I said, I can tell you what's wrong with Bosnia and why this war happened. There was a bit of silence, you can imagine. And then I said, I'm going to tell you what was wrong with Hitler as well and why the war happened. Sometimes God gives humanity over and says, right, you carry on the way you want. See where it leads you. And what the Nazis did was wicked beyond even expression. Millions of people tortured, killed, and other things in internment camps. But we looked at that and we said, this is appalling. Who could ever have done that? In Bosnia, they repeated the same experience on a smaller scale. The thing is, sometimes God stands back and lets us sink so that we might wake up one day and say, something's wrong here. Now, three times in this chapter, the phrase comes in, God gave them over. And each time it drops down another notch. So let's move on to the second falling in. And the next exchange is instead of just exchanging God for an idol, they exchange the truth, any truth, for lies. And the lie was that you should worship the creature, humanity, each other. We're it. We're the best. We should be worshipped, uh, not the creator. And so Paul uses an illustration here of giving over to shameful lusts it's described as. And as you read this through, you've probably read this before, it describes basically what some might call lesbianism and some might call homosexualism. And what the second exchange is going on here that Paul is condemning is that we exchange what's natural for us with what is unnatural. What is holy and pleasurable and meant for the right purpose into something that is disgusting and is something that will destroy us in the long run. And so he uses the example of what was going on in Rome. 
The first five emperors weren't just homosexual, they were multisexual. They were uh, both hetero and they had wives, in other words, and they had boys, and they also had husbands. And Nero, who murdered Paul and made sure he was killed, Nero killed his own wife, and then he found a boy who looked like his wife and married him publicly, and then he got rid of him and married another man. And so what Paul is saying is, what you're doing here is you're taking the truth, that is the godly way, the reason God formed people to be procreating and building families, society, to honor him, and you're instead switching that for playing around with each other and not procreating and not creating a godly society. And he's deliberately using this as an example. I'll add a couple more words on this one. Listen, this is not the worst sin in the Bible or the worst sin you're going to see in this list. And unfortunately, previous generations have been very smug about some of these things. But nevertheless, it is still a reality that we are in a world where truth is substituted for the lie. Mike referred to Putin. Apparently, there's no war in Ukraine, although 50,000-plus of his troops have been killed. Uh, apparently, it doesn't exist. He is pushing the lie, and truth is suffering because he's turned the two and exchanged the two one for another. And that's just one example. When I was in Bosnia, I was the officer commanding a thing called psychological operations. Now, we're not just taking people's minds and bending them, I can assure you. What, what, what our job was to study what disinformation was going out in the community and then counteract that by telling the truth and publicizing that through radio, TV, broadcasting, and papers, and so on. Now, all the efforts that we did still didn't suppress the lies, and that is what humanity has found itself doing, to the point where what Jesus taught about the true relationship of marriage, uh, male and female, united to your wife, the two become one flesh, not two, but one. What God has joined together, let no one separate, is stood on its head. And sadly, on the 17th of July, 2013, Britain joined that view. Because the Queen signed an act David Cameron and uh, Nick Clegg had put together, and Parliament supported strongly, that marriage is not the union of one man and one woman for life, till death us do part, but it's one person with another person. And that is just a symptom. I'm not condemning it. It's not for us Christians to decide what legislation. It's none of my business, dare I say it. I don't care what laws, but Christian marriage is completely different. And destroying the truth of God's laws that he built and turning them upside down is a feature of all over this world and certainly was rife in the day that Paul wrote this. Anyhow, moving on, it went worse because we've discovered that they got to the point where we not even use, we're not even going to swear by the word God. It, the word God doesn't exist because God doesn't exist. And you've probably read books that are called God is Dead. You know, I love, the, I love a picture of a book that says God is Dead on the front cover and then a little uh, bubble that says, oh, no, I'm not. <laughs> Uh, you know, and um, so it, it, it's still the confusing state that people allow their minds to come into so that they don't retain the very knowledge of God. And so what God gives them over, he says, that's the way your mind works, 
then we'll just let you go mad. We'll destroy your mind. And this is what the outcome is, that the passage describes these, they're full of greed, envy, strife, malice, all the things. Mark's Gospel, chapter 7, Jesus said, from the heart, all these things pour out. The human heart is broke, and this is what people are full of. That then leads to changes in their character. They become slanderers, God-haters, arrogant, boastful, insolent. That is what happens, and that then leads to the act accordingly. Disobedience to authority, no understanding, loveless, no faithfulness, no mercy. These are the directions that we are going, and these are the directions that Paul could see in the society of Rome and the ancient world, but also what happens in our situation. And the thing is, you cannot legislate against these things. You can't say, we'll ban murder, and that it's an offense to commit murder. Our prisons are full of murderers, and it's still going on. It's an offense to commit theft. Our prisons are full of thieves. And there's many out there who aren't caught. You cannot legislate human behavior. What Paul is saying is this is the depth that humanity has gone to, the three stages down. And it's got to the point they deserve death, but not just that. They continue to do these things, and they bring everybody else into it. And that is where we are today. And so the charge sheet, as it were, against us is you're guilty as charged. The Gentile society has become idolatrous, immoral, depraved, tried to turn truth upside down and scraping the depths. Next week, we'll be looking further in the book where we discover that other people take a different approach. And uh, as Barry will be sharing with us, that doesn't work either. That doesn't help. And then Mike will be looking at how the Jews approach it. And that still doesn't work. And at the end of the day, the whole human race is guilty and without excuse before God. We're all found guilty. All have sinned and fall short. Now, let me just stand back. I've painted a very bleak picture because Paul painted it. It's not my picture. That's his analysis. The context that Paul has explained these words is the start of the chapter. I am not ashamed of the gospel. The gospel is the power of God to save people from all these things. Now, you and I are in that same position. There is no remedy that the lawmakers of this land can make to stop this behavior. It doesn't work. God has given you and me a dynamite box that will blow that apart and will bring change. It will stop the rot. It will save sinners. It's the gospel that does it. And it's only the gospel is the hope of this world. Have you got it? Guess who's got that gospel? Well, Paul's gone. And uh, I'm afraid uh, Billy Graham's not around anymore and some of the great evangelists. Yep, it's you and it's me that Paul's talking to. We've got the gospel that is going to counteract that. We need to share it and live it so that the, the characters that God shapes in us become the lights of the gospel across this planet that attract the, uh, the, the people in, uh, that are sinking in the swamp and they want some of that and they want to find salvation.
we're the people. The gospel is the only answer. And that's why Paul paints this picture so black, but also elevates the picture of the light and intensity of the gospel that we can contain and hold. 